and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we address issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, and too often ignored. Prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer amongst men in the UK. And with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Arvind George, Assistant Professor of Urology at the University of Michigan School of Medicine in the USA. A urologic surgeon specializing in the diagnosis and management of genourinary cancers, Professor George's research interests include minimally invasive and image-guided treatments, functional prostate imaging, and focal therapy for prostate cancer, and he's published widely in all these areas. He's also a practicing consulting urologist who has been a leading voice globally on focal therapy and whose contributions to building the evidence base for it have been invaluable in advancing the practice and making focal therapy ultimately more accessible to a wider group of patients. Arvind George is here today to share his insights from his research and his clinical practice. Arvin, it's wonderful to have you here today. Thank you so much for coming along. Thank you, Clan. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited at this opportunity to think and chat about some of the new horizons in prostate cancer treatment. Good. Well, let me start by asking you a pretty basic question. How did you get involved in practicing focal therapy? I mean, starting as a consultant urologist, you've, you've lived, you've practiced, you've researched internationally. So how did you wind up becoming a focal therapy global specialist based in Michigan? Yeah, you know, I've had, I've really had the opportunity to work with um, innovators in the field of urology since the beginning of my training. And whether it be minimally invasive surgery or image guided treatments like different focal therapies, um, I was kind of guided in that direction to pursue that that innovative path and what's what's new and where can we have the greatest impact in the field. And I saw early on the potential for focal therapy to impact not just the field, but patients' lives in a positive way. And it's been a constantly changing environment and an exciting field where we've really been learning and growing every day. And so I think that I've been really, really excited about pursuing both focal therapy as a research and a clinical interest as well. And, you know, you've been quite, I mean, involved to say the least in building the evidence base, as I suggested earlier. Do do you feel that the evidence base now for focal therapy is, is sufficient for widespread adoption? That's a tricky question to answer because I do think that there's a number of factors that, you know, we need to take into consideration. But I would say that, you know, as an, in an overall sense, I, I would say my, my answer to that would be, uh, I don't think we're ready for widespread adoption, but I do think that we are ready for selective judicious adoption. And what I mean by that is, is that while I'm extremely enthusiastic about focal therapy as a field and its potential, you know, my major concern is that the success of these new treatments are really, they're highly dependent on identifying the right patient. And if you don't choose the right patient for the right treatment, and that goes for, you know, uh, surgery to remove the prostate or radiation, it goes for all treatments that we employ in medicine. If we we don't um, choose the right patient for the right treatment, then our expectations uh, are going to be misaligned with what the patient's goals of care, care are. Uh, and so we need to be really careful to be able to implement this responsibly and ensure that both patients and providers understand what the best practices are in this space, mm-hmm. which of course they continue to evolve. But I think it can be offered as the standard of care in select patients mm-hmm. uh, when of course they're followed very carefully and the outcomes are recorded either, you know, ideally within a clinical trial, but outside of that within some sort of registry so that we can learn from our experience and uh, ensure that we're doing the right thing for patients. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you talked a few minutes ago about being 
intrigued and um, by innovation. And that's how you eventually wound up in, in this area of research and practice. And, and focal therapy is certainly been a real product of innovation and, you know, in imaging as well, um, in some of the new and applied energy sources that are used to actually um, undertake focal therapy and in radiological reporting, there's just examples. Do you feel that these are areas of innovation that are playing out in, in helping to advance focal therapy? Oh, absolutely. I would say, you know, the amount of progress that has been made over the the last 10 years or so uh, in prostate cancer specifically has been uh, impressive. And at all ends of the spectrum, whether it be in advanced prostate cancer, when the prostate cancer has gone outside of the prostate, there have been a tremendous amount of innovations. Uh, when we look at prostate imaging, I do feel that imaging in general is really the pulse of any field. And as we start to have improvements in, in imaging, specifically prostate cancer imaging, our treatments, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. treatments kind of coincide with that progress, and we make significant strides in terms of treatments. Mm-hmm. And so, when we look at imaging, let's say we just take imaging as an example, prostate MRI is being widely utilized now. And I would say 10 or so more years ago, uh, it was really in its infancy, especially with regards to adoption outside of expert centers. Mm-hmm. We have new PET scans uh, with novel different radio traces um, that can uh, target prostate cancer very directly. There are There is the advent of theranostic treatments, which both serve in a diagnostic role to both identify where a cancer is, but also can treat it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that this will just lead us to be less and less invasive uh, with our treatments. And so the future is really bright uh, overall with, with regards to that. And when we talk about you know, you mentioned the different energy sources that are used. That's also been a field that's just exploded. You know, historically, mm-hmm. we've had maybe high intensity focused ultrasound or HIFU and, and cryotherapy. But since the since that those seem to be now, I wouldn't say they're, they're contemporary treatments, but um, we have a, not a lot of newcomers on the block, whether that be irreversible electroporation, or mm-hmm. it could be um, uh, radiofrequency ablation, microwave ablation, uh, nanoparticle, nanoparticle directed uh, laser ablation, conventional laser ablation. Um, you have steam uh, water vapor or steam-based therapies. There are so many new treatments that are mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that are coming onto the horizon. I think we just need to really understand where they all fit in that puzzle of what's the best for the patient. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just keeping on the theme of innovation, you know, what other areas of innovation are evolving that you think, you know, might eventually make focal therapy far more accessible? And and by this, I mean, not necessarily the, the energy sources in the imaging, because we can talk about that for a long time. And that continues to evolve, as you rightly say. But I'm thinking things like social innovation and how men are messaged about their health through digital media or public service um, awareness campaigns. I'm, I'm very curious to to hear what you have to say about those areas of innovation. Yeah, you know, we've learned a lot from, you know, from historically. So when PSA or prostate-specific antigen came out, um, you know, there was a huge push for screening. And, you know, I think that part of that the, the fact that PSA is not particularly specific to prostate cancer only has been has helped us, you know, identify prostate cancer earlier. But it has also maybe led to um, going down a slippery slope of uh, biopsies and treatments that may not benefit men in the long run. Mm-hmm. And so I think that what I, at least in my own experience, I've seen uh, men and not just men, but their family members and spouses and other people who are close to them take a much more central role in becoming their 
own advocates. I think mm-hmm. that being able mm-hmm. to disseminate um, information in, a, in such a different way, there's so many mediums by which we can communicate now, whether that be on social media, whether that be on the news, you know, whether that be um, whether that be through podcasts like this, for example, or mm-hmm. uh, videos on YouTube. There are so many places where where both patients and physicians can kind of consume these in, this information mm-hmm. now it becomes a it, it can become a double edged sword because um like with anything you know we we want to ensure that we're getting this information from credible sources that are objective uh that always have the patient's best interest in mind and i think that's probably the greatest challenge making sure that we get the right information out there mm-hmm. through objective sources that you know that that don't necessarily i don't want to say mislead patients but don't mm-hmm give them, you know, a false sense of security because any individual treatment is not a panacea. It's Mm -hmm. not, you know, it doesn't, there's no one size fits all approach to uh, prostate cancer treatment. So Mm -hmm. I think that Mm -hmm. getting the right information is really important. I I agree with you. And I know, in fact, there has been research done on, um, you know, degrees of misinformation through digital media. And um, again, it's a difficult one to control, but I did want to ask you about that a little bit more specifically. I mean, have you had experience where a patient has actually presented you a, a lack of information or perhaps some misinformation that you've actually had to challenge uh, when when you've uh, recommended a treatment option for example have you have you come across any patients who come in to to your care and and actually have a fixed way of thinking that you've had to to challenge I have actually I would say you know in the focal therapy space, there is very limited objective information that's out there, whether that is vetted by, you know, organizations or professional societies. And so with that, um, it becomes difficult to, you know, to give up, difficult to come across some of this objective, you know, reliable information that's there. And because this field is changing so quickly, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. what we what we think about two, 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 three years ago, it may be very different than what we think about today. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm thinking about specific specific examples, I would say, you know, for example, I do uh, cryoablation. Um, but most of the information, if patients were to seek it out themselves, is predominantly on whole gland cryoablation and the outcomes and the patient's experience is very, very different from whole gland versus a focal cryoablation. So I do have to sometimes spend amount of time re-educating patients, maybe that's one thing. And then I would say the other example is, is that it's very hard to keep up to date with some of these contemporary uh, evidence or data that's available. And we can sometimes be biased by historic data where we were learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that is, I think, I think there's, there's challenges on both ends. You know, I, th- I feel mm-hmm. sometimes it takes me as long to counsel a patient and tell them, hey, you are a good candidate for this novel treatment, even though it may not be, you know, the standard of care. Um, versus I have other patients where I have to take as much time to convince them that they're not a good yeah. candidate for vocal yeah. therapy. Yeah. And uh, and it's important to take the time to explain that to, yeah. so that they understand fully um, the reasoning behind that so that mm-hmm. they can really choose mm-hmm. what's the right treatment for them. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually really important because they're the ones who are the so-called self-advocates that you described mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. Um, and they're very enthusiastic and they've probably done a lot of their research and, and come to you because they they want you know to to experience your approach. And as you say, I mean, so much of this is about the right selection, the right treatment for the right person at the right time. Um, But I mean, would you find that someone like that who is self-advocating and is knowledgeable um, is then easier to, well, easier may not be the right word, but, but, you know, they're, they're, they're they're willing to listen to you and, and, you know, abide by, by what your recommendations are. I, I do think so. I think that, you know, 
a lot of it is just understanding what the patient's goals of care are. I know this term of shared decision-making can uh, sometimes just feel like a buzzword, but I think in prostate cancer, it is supremely important because, um, you know, we're not just, I mean, certainly we're looking for cancer control, but um, with the natural history of prostate cancer, I think that we have the opportunity to offer less and less invasive treatments that can also uh, ensure that patients are able to maintain a, a very high quality of life yeah. um, rather than uh, uh, offering them a treatment that can significantly impact their quality of life with a questionable benefit from a cancer perspective. So yeah. um, that is really, really important. And does that seem in your experience to be the main reason why people come to you and to discuss um, opportunities for focal therapy because they are aware that there's a quality of life impact 100%. I think that, yep. you know, of all the, you know, of all the questions that that still do exist regarding focal therapy, I think the one thing that is has been completely settled is is that the the outcome, the functional outcomes with regards to quality of life, whether that be sexual function or urinary function in terms of urinary leakage and urinary symptoms, bowel function, that that is proven beyond a doubt in my opinion um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think that we we clearly know that you're going to do better from from both a logistic and and a side effect perspective with focal treatment and now we're really focusing on you know how can we achieve the best uh, cancer outcomes for these patients mm-hmm. and presumably for for more patients exactly um, absolutely yeah. so what would be your message of hope for men as they age and and they navigate the possibility on or the reality of um, developing prostate cancer, how would you, how would you, what would you say to them and in, in giving them some hope for the future? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what I start every one of my new consultations with. And I start by saying that, you know, before we, before we get into it, I tell them, you know, you are going to live uh, a long and healthy life, mm-hmm. you know, with treatment, uh, depending on the type of cancer that they have, of course. Um, but for the most patients who it's confined to the prostate and it does require some sort of treatment, I tell them, you're going to see your grandchildren. You're going mm-hmm. to see your children graduate from, from university, or you're going to see them, you're, you're going to see them get married just to take the tension off. Because I think we know a lot about the biology of prostate cancer. And when uh, when somebody comes in for a new consultation, they are extraordinarily anxious and understandably so. You have uh, you've been labeled as a cancer patient, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not all, and it's very difficult as you know as a patient to understand that there are differences between different cancers. And we're so fortunate that prostate cancer can be very effectively treated. Mm-hmm. And so I, I that's how I start everything off. And 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 I would say in terms of a message of hope, I would say that our advances in the prostate cancer space have, have been uh, been exponential in the last few years. And I and I feel that that trajectory is continue to going to continue that way. And we are gathering additional studies and the evidence base to help support it and really solidify uh, focal treatments and even newer treatments and focal therapy that are on the horizon that will make it uh, make our cancer treatments both more effective and also be uh, help them in being able to maintain the lifestyle that they want to maintain. Well, that is very hopeful indeed. And and it's wonderful to hear it from, from someone like yourself, who's actually really leading a lot of those advancements. And, and um, I, I hope our listeners will, will look at your work, which I will put on our program notes. And um, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, because you've um, shed a lot of light. And it's, um, it's, it's really important to, to, to men who, as you say, get di- a diagnosis, and they and their partners and their families experience a lot of stress. And it's, it's really wonderful to have people like you to give that kind of reassurance. So thank you. Thank you so much for those kind words and thank you for for having me on.
A transcript of this interview and links to more information about Professor Arvind George and his work are available in the program notes on our website, along with further information on diagnostics and treatment for prostate cancer and additional interviews and stories about living with prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Focal Therapy Clinic. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time.